they are not like American Airlines who I have decided to say goodbye to. But anyway, and I'm flying Delta thinking everything is good and I sit down and I notice delayed. 30 minutes. I'm like, that's not too bad. An hour. And I call Tasha and she's like, well, I can come back and pick you up. And I'm like, no, I'll just sit here. Surely it's not gonna be that long. Three hours. I'm delayed. And about this time, an irate passenger walks up to the counter. Everyone's a little irate, a lot of businessmen. Good for me is I didn't have to be there quite as early as a lot of these people. And this irate man walks up to the counter, slams down his ticket and says, I need help now. I need somebody to do something now. I need to be on this flight now. And as a a result of this being delayed, I want first class. Everybody can hear him. And the desk agent looks at him and says, sir, I'm sorry. I, I can't help you. There's no plane here. Soon as one gets here, I will, I will help you out. And he goes, no, you are not getting it. Do you know who I am? <laughs> and this lady just grabs her microphone and she says, attention, everyone in the terminal. Attention, everyone in the terminal. She says, I have a man at my desk who doesn't know who he is. If anybody can identify this man, please come and see me at gate two. I'll tell you, I was a little embarrassed when she called me out like that. But hey, I'm just kidding. I did not, I wanted to do that and I was delayed. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. And we're actually going to talk about identity. Who is this man? Matthew 16 has a story. Um, We're going to look at the identity of Jesus. We're going to look at three different stories in Scripture today that all really are pointing to the identity of Jesus. And all of them have... At the center of their story, two of them very specifically call him out. I believe he's also at the center of the third story, a man by the name of Peter. We're going to look at three stories pointing to the identity of Jesus today. Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, now one thing you have to understand is a very highly cultish area. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And at this point in time, you have to understand that Jesus was beginning to get famous, but people weren't really calling him who he was yet. They hadn't really identified him as Messiah. And so they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then Jesus asked them, them being plural, but who do you? And if you were here last week, oftentimes when we look at scripture, we read it from a language or a lens for ourselves, but oftentimes it's speaking to a collective group, right? And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, the, I believe the spokesman for the disciples says this, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because my father has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. 
Years ago, I had a t-shirt that had a blurred face of Jesus on it. And this t-shirt simply said, who do you say that I am? And I think about this t-shirt quite often. Not that it was anything special. It was 30 years ago that I had this t-shirt. But I've oftentimes thought of that question, who do you say that I am? You see, I think this is the most important question you will ever answer. Who do you say that I am? And that question, along with the question that the disciples ask in Matthew chapter 8 that we're going to look at in just a moment, who is this man, are the foundation upon which I tried to build this message. Who is this man, and who do you say that he is? Let me pray over us today. Father, we ask you to speak in this room to every heart, to every life. Lord, I don't believe that there's any person in this room or anybody watching online who's watching or listening by accident. I believe today you have a message for this room, for this group of people. Speak to their hearts, speak to their lives. We love you, we thank you, Jesus. Bless this word, in your name we pray, amen. I read a story recently about a pastor who would always go to nursing homes to visit um, elderly people. And he walked into one nursing home who had some people in it that used to attend his church. And he saw one lady sitting in her wheelchair and she had attended his church for years and now she's um, nearing death and her family has had to put her in a home. And so she's sitting in this wheelchair and the pastor walks up to her and recognizes her as he walks up with joy in his voice and excitement in his eyes. And he says to her, do you know who I am? And she looks at him and says, no. But if you go ask the front desk, they'll tell you. <laughs> who is this man? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I want you to understand something. When Peter says this, when he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, Peter is saying this, understanding and recognizing the kingship of Jesus. He's recognizing that this is the man that is coming in the line of David. This is him. This is the one we have been waiting for. And I imagine when Peter says these words, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, I imagine there's awe in his voice. I imagine there's some passion, some grit, and some determination. You are the Messiah. You are the one we've been waiting for. It wasn't just a casual statement. You are the one, is what he says. You see, I think by this time, it was all beginning to come together for Peter. I believe Peter was beginning to realize that this man sitting in front of me is not simply a good man. This man sitting in front of me is not simply a good teacher. This man sitting in front of me is not simply a prophet. This man sitting in front of me is not some crazy radical who has no agenda, who's just trying to make a name for himself. This man sitting in front of me is my Messiah. This man sitting in front of me is the one that our people have been waiting on for centuries. This is that man. 
You see, it's all beginning to come together for Peter. I think he's been pondering this for quite some time because you need to remember, Peter has been with the Lord for quite some time. He's had a front row seat to everything. One such incident that I believe helps to shape Peter's response in Matthew 16 is found in Matthew chapter eight. It's where we get the question, who is this man? In Matthew chapter eight, we see that large crowds are beginning to follow Jesus. Everywhere he goes, there are crowds. In this story, if you go look at Matthew chapter eight, you're gonna see a lot of miracles. You're gonna see Jesus healing lepers. You're gonna see Jesus healing um, demon-possessed people. Scripture says with one word, he's healing demon-possessed people. You see in Matthew chapter eight, Jesus heals people that are paralyzed, can't walk. You see, and this was a big miracle. You see that he heals mother-in-laws, right? That's a big miracle. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Matthew chapter eight, verse 18 says, Jesus healed all the sick. And after this long day of healings and miracles, Jesus, and we see this as a common occurrence when Jesus is doing ministry and he has busy days, he begins to retreat and to pray. And we see that Jesus tells his disciples to get in the boat and they're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. You have to understand that a lot of the ministry of Jesus was done in and around the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, one thing that's very important to understand is the Sea of Galilee is not a sea. It's a fresh bodied, it's a fresh body water. It's, It's a lake. The Sea of Galilee is also not very big. It's 33 miles around, eight miles at its widest. One of the unique things about the Sea of Galilee, though, is that it is 700 feet below sea level. And as a result of this, there are quite often storms then and even to this day that pop up on this sea that become uncontrollable, violent storms. And that's exactly what we see happening on this day that Jesus tells his disciples to get in the boat. And after a few hours of being on the water, one of these famous storm comes in and Matthew calls it a great storm. But as I've been telling you, as we've been studying the book of Philippians, I think it's important that you look at some of the words of what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. Peter, when he says this great storm, the original word is seismos. Peter is not trying to say it's just a little bit windy. He is saying this is an earthquake on water. Gale force winds are blowing. And I've seen on the Sea of Galilee, I've seen replica of boats that they might've been in. They're not real big. And so you've got Peter and the 11 other disciples and Jesus on this little boat that is being tossed around in this storm like a child's toy. And something that you need to understand here, the Lord, like it's simple, but I love when the Lord just gives you a little bit of revelation. The Lord just spoke to me, he said, Chad, he said, the wind was not only tossing the waves and tossing the boat, but the winds and the waves were tossing their faith. May I say it again. The winds and the waves were not only tossing the boat. The winds and the waves were tossing the disciples' faith. It was tossing it. These men were terrified. Literally thinking they're going to die. Terror. Jesus, on the other hand, is asleep in the boat. And have you ever felt like Jesus was asleep in the boat? You sing that song, Jesus, take the wheel. It's like, Jesus, if you wake up, you can have it, all right? Just take the wheel. 
And the Bible tells us that the disciples go and they shake Jesus. They're like, Jesus, bro, we're dying. Wake up, save us. I mean, you, there's panic in their voices, right? Gee, how are you sleeping? We're dying. And the Bible tells us that Jesus wakes up. I, I picture Jesus kind of like, because remember, he's fully human, right? So when I wake up in the morning, I got to rub the sleep out of my eyes. And if it's in a bright room, I imagine Jesus looking like a human, like a little bit messy hair. Right? He wakes up and he says to them, why do you have such little faith? Then it says Jesus gets up and he rebukes. Everybody say rebuke. He rebukes the winds and the waves. And suddenly there was a great calm. And the Lord spoke to my heart as I was studying for this message and said, today, he's going to rebuke some of your storms. Now this word rebuke is an important word here. It's the word chide or scold. I want you to hear me. Jesus scolds the winds and the waves. Well, he can do that, right? He's the creator. But anyway... But something else the Lord spoke to my heart as he said, Chad, he didn't only scold the winds and the waves. He's scolding the disciples as well in this moment for their lack of faith. It's a rebuke. And he's saying this with authority. What he's saying is, stop it. That's enough. Calm down. He's saying that to the winds and the waves, but I also believe he's saying it to the disciples. And I believe he's saying that to some of us today. That's enough. Calm down. Shh. Shh. Peace. Peace. And what the Bible tells us instantly, the winds and the waves obey. Don't you wish as a parent that when you scold your children, they would instantly obey? The winds and the wave, he's the creator of this. This is, this is his children, right? And he speaks and they listen. I'm like reading this and I'm like, I need that same power, right? Obey me. It's just, the Bible says the wind ceased and there was great calm. And the disciples are soaking wet, their heart rate is just, you know, like after you've been afraid, it takes a while for your heart to stop beating through your chest and your legs are shaking. I can just imagine the disciples like, like trembling, but knowing that they're okay now and just like, and they're amazed. And they ask the question that has really been asked for over 2,000 years. And it doesn't, the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us in Matthew chapter eight that it's Peter speaking, but I think it is. Why? Because it seems like Peter's the spokesman. He's the one who always talks. In Matthew 8, 27, here's the question. Who is this man? That even the winds and the waves obey him. Who is this man? Remember what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to connect the dots for you today of why Peter could say in Matthew chapter 16, you are the Christ. 
I'm trying to connect the dots for you and show you a couple of different stories that specifically are impacting Peter. And today, it's my hope, it's my desire that every single one of you would walk out of this room knowing who Jesus is, and you could say with assurance, you are the Christ, my Messiah. And so up to this point, we've seen winds and waves obey Jesus. We've seen demon-possessed people healed. We've seen paralytics healed. We've seen people being healed everywhere. And I want to show you one more story. We'll spend the rest of our time on this one. This story in Matthew chapter 14, again, is pointing to the identity of Jesus. And it has some very similar circumstances that are found in Matthew chapter 8. Peter is, we know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, right in the middle of this story. And then there's going to be some conjecture on my part as we talk through this. There's going to be some things where I'm going to tell you I I believe. I can't 100% prove this, but I believe. And I think I'm pretty accurate in what I am trying to communicate today. But I think this is one of the reasons Peter can say, you are the Christ. So check this story out. Matthew chapter 14, we have another story where Jesus has been doing a lot of ministry and we have the disciples getting in a boat again, but this time they're getting in the boat minus Jesus. On this particular day, Jesus had been busy. His cousin and friend John the Baptist had been beheaded. He's healed. You go look at Matthew chapter 14. It says he's healed all diseases. And then we see the story of the feeding of the 5,000. So it's a busy day, two days, three days. It's a busy time period. Again, after Jesus does a lot of ministry, you see him do one of the most important spiritual things I think he can do, and it's retreat and rest. I remember my nephew, Cole, had a shirt that said, be like Jesus, take a nap. You know, it's like, like I think sometimes that might be the most spiritual thing we can do, right? And so Jesus... The Bible tells us that he puts his disciples in the boat and he says again, hey, we're going across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. But Jesus, the Bible tells us, doesn't get in the boat with them. He retreats to pray. If I'm the disciples and I am getting in a boat late at night after a long day of ministry, I'm thinking, ha ha, there's going to be another storm, right? Matthew 14, 24, the Bible tells us the boat was already some distance from the land. And wouldn't you know it, one of those crazy storms pops up again. And I'm just going to tell you this again as some conjecture on my part, but I think that Jesus was doing this intentionally. I think Jesus knew there was going to be a storm. I think Matthew 8, Jesus was with them to show them that, hey, you can speak to the storm and the storm can stop. I think Jesus in Matthew 14 was not going with them. Again, conjecture. But I think Jesus was not going with them to see if they would put their faith to test, to work. If they would speak to the storm. Just what I believe. The Bible tells us it's sometime between 3 and 6 a.m. when all this is happening. Again, winds, waves, battering the ship, battering their soul, battering their faith, tossing them back and forth, and we have panicked disciples again. Now, what's interesting in this story, though, is these already panicked disciples now see this dude, this being, walking on water toward them. And look at Matthew 14, 26. It says, when the disciples saw him walking on water, they were terrified. And don't anybody in this room try to act like you would be brave. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. I'm telling you, if I'm on Table Rock Lake with any of you that have your own boat, I don't care if you've got a 30-foot boat. I don't care if you've got a yacht. And we're on the lake and winds and waves are tossing our boat back and forth. And some dude 
starts walking on water toward us. I'm just telling you, in that moment, my faith is non-existent. I am panicked. I'm probably in the corner sucking my thumb, trembling, saying, please, Jesus, don't take, I'm, I'm terrified. And none of you act brave. We're all gonna do the same thing, right? The disciples are terrified. Their faith is a wreck. But what happens next, I believe, is one of the most powerful significant moments in all of scripture, especially between Jesus and his disciples. Hearing, and I'm gonna read this to you, and then I'm gonna break this down a little bit. Hearing the disciples cry, Jesus calls out to them, take courage, pay attention to this verse, Matthew 14, 27. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Hold on to this verse. We're gonna come back to it, and I'm gonna teach you. But continue on verse 28 through 31. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sing, save me, Lord, he shouted. In verse 31, Jesus reaches out and grabs him and says, you have little faith. Why do you doubt me? I want to teach you a little bit, something from this story that I think maybe we've taught incorrectly. And again, this is um, me putting some pieces together. This is some conjecture. I can't prove this, but I think this is what's happening. When Peter steps out of the boat, he starts walking on water, which is pretty cool. How many of you have ever walked on water? Any of you? Do you, anybody know anybody that has? I don't know anybody. But then Peter starts to lose focus and he starts to sink. Then Jesus saves him, but then Jesus scolds him. You have little faith. Why do you doubt me? If I'm Peter and I just walked on water, the only other human being besides Jesus to do this, and I have just a moment of relapse and I have just a lack of faith for just a moment and I start to sink, I'm still feeling pretty darn good about Chad Blancet, right? I just walked on water. And then Jesus scolds me. I'm thinking, what? These other 11 dudes didn't even get out of the boat. Why are you not rebuking them? I at least had faith to try it. But we don't see Peter defend himself. It's because I don't believe that Jesus was scolding him because he sank. So what's happening here? Let me begin to paint this picture for you. There's a sequence of events that happen. Number one, Jesus tells his disciples to get in the boat. We're going to the other side. Second thing that happens is disciples again find themselves in another crazy storm. This time, Jesus isn't there, right? So how many of you, like earlier I said, how many of you ever felt Jesus was asleep in your storm? Have you ever just felt like Jesus just wasn't even in the same vicinity? I'm the, you guys do me a favor to just see if your arms go up. Just see if, look at that, they work. All right, how many of you have ever, or I'm the only sinner, heathen in the room that's ever felt Jesus wasn't there? How many of you have ever felt he wasn't there? See, it works, it's okay. It's, this, this works much better if we all participate. <laughs> then Jesus comes walking on the water, and this is a pretty cool moment, this is a pretty powerful moment, but this is a very significant moment. Let me teach you, but I believe that Jesus is, this is a teaching moment for Jesus with his disciples. Jesus in this moment is wanting his disciples to get something. He's, he's beginning to say to them, not only am I Jesus, the son of man, 
Not only am I Jesus a man, not only am I a good teacher and a good prophet, but I am also Jesus, son of God. I am God. And hear me, how can I say this? Well, these first century Jews are very well versed in the Old Testament. In fact, probably all of these disciples have a big majority of the Old Testament memorized. They know it. They know that in the creation story, it says God hovers over the water. They know that in Job, it says God treads on the waves. So they know this. They know that God is the God who walks on water. So Jesus in this moment is teaching his disciples, I'm not only the son of man, but I'm also God who was here from the beginning of time. And I hover over the water. I tread on water. I walk on waves. What's happening? Jesus is connecting the dots and he's bringing the Old Testament into the new and he's putting it all together. And I believe this would have been an aha moment for these disciples. I remember when God says he treads on the waves and now here's Jesus walking And the fourth thing we see, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time, and this is how I'm going to connect these dots for you today of who is this man and who do you say he is. The fourth thing we see in this story is when Jesus, verse 27 of Matthew chapter 14 says, take courage, it is I. What's happening here? Jesus is declaring in this moment who he is. He's declaring his identity to his disciples. It's another teaching moment. Again, I want you to hear me. Jesus is again going back to their Old Testament roots. When Jesus says, take courage, it is I, what's he saying there? He's saying, ego, I'm me. Ego, I'm me. This is a command. This is what this word right here, this is a command where Jesus is saying, this is a Greek imperative word, and it's saying, I am. You gotta get this, I exist. Jesus, when he says, take courage, it is I, he says, take courage, I am. Take courage, I am from the beginning of time. Take courage, I am your deliverer. Take courage, I am. This is a statement. This is a word. So this is why sometimes I think we don't always get what Jesus is trying to teach or the word is trying to teach us because we don't understand the depth of the original language. So this isn't just saying, hey, take courage, fellas, I'm here. No, it's take courage. God is here. The creator of the world is standing in front of you as I am. You see, the disciples have been taught since their birth about Israel's rescue from Egypt. And they know that Moses argued with God when God told Moses, hey, set my people free. Take my people out of captivity. But Moses says, who should I tell them sent me? Here's what you gotta hear. Jesus on this water is using the same thing that God said to Moses. He says, I am. Sometimes that's all we need. I am. And that's what Jesus is communicating to his disciples in this moment. God said, ego, I me. I am 
that I am. Jesus, in this moment, is teaching his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. The same God that said to Moses, I am, is the same God that's speaking to you right now on this water. Who am I? I am not simply Jesus. I am not simply a prophet. I am not simply a teacher or a good man. I am God. I am all that you need. Who are you? I am Jesus. That's what he's saying. And this is a significant moment for these disciples. I believe this is a significant moment for Peter. They're simply trying to survive, simply trying to get to the other side. And Jesus steps up in the middle of their storm and says, don't be afraid, I am. And on this Easter Sunday morning, the day that we celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, here's what I believe that God told me to tell somebody today. You need a healer? I am. You need a deliverer? I am. You need peace? I am. You need hope? I am. You need joy? I am. You need salvation? I am. You need a miracle? I am. Are you getting this today? Jesus says whatever life is throwing at you, I am. Jesus is saying in the midst of your storm, I am. Jesus is saying in the midst of your pain and your problems and your persecution, I am. In the midst of your confusion, I am. I am. Are you getting it? Who is Jesus? I am. Not me. Who is Jesus? I am. What do you need? I am. What do you want? I am. Prodigal child? I am. Cancer in your body? I am. Lack in your bank account? I am. Struggling with mental health? I am. Who is Jesus? I am. Who is this man? The great I am. Are we getting this? So let's look back at Peter. Jesus is delivering a powerful truth to his disciples, revealing who he is. These first century disciples are starting to get it. Things are clicking, right? This is the Messiah. I want you to imagine the excitement. You know, like many of us, we've, I've known Jesus since I was a child. I've never not known Jesus to be present in my life. For these disciples, it had been centuries that they'd been waiting for their Messiah. So you got to understand the magnitude of this moment. It's all beginning to click. Miracles are happening. They're thinking the kingdom of God is being set up. And then Peter, ever the one who sticks his foot in his mouth, does it again. And he says, with sarcasm in his voice, hey man, if it's you, I want you to hear this. There's, there's doubt. If you are, I am. Tell me to come. In this moment, whether it was ever so slightly or ever so blatantly, Peter, here's what I want you to hear. Peter is questioning the identity of Jesus. 
This is what's happening in this story. Because when Peter says, if it's really you, again, let's look at the original language. When Peter says, if it's really you, this is the exact same phrase that the priests use when they question the identity of Jesus. This is the exact same phrase Satan used when he tempted Jesus in the desert and he said, if you are the son of God. This is the exact same phrase the thief on the cross used when he said, if you are the son of God, prove it. Now we have Peter, one of Jesus' most trusted companions and closest allies, say, if it's really you. You know, when I was sitting in my office this week just at tears as I thought of this, how many times have I questioned the identity of Jesus? How many times have I said, if it's really you, prove it. What's happening here? And Jesus gives the only response that he naturally can because he is, I am. And so Peter's saying, if you are. And so God says, come. I want you to hear me. The original language, it is a frustrated. How many of you have ever taken your child to Walmart and they wanted everything? And you said, no, 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 no. And finally at the end, after 47,000 questions, you finally say, okay, you can have some fruit roll-ups. Let's go. It's that level of frustration I think is happening right there. So the rest of the story unfolds this way and we're gonna wrap it up. Peter steps out, starts to walk, starts to sink, cries out, Jesus saved me. And immediately Jesus saves him. And then here's the key. Then Jesus rebukes him. Jesus scolds him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt me? You see, again, this is conjecture on my part, but I think I'm pretty accurate. Jesus is not rebuking Peter for sinking. Peter walked on water. Peter had faith to do that. You see, if Jesus was rebuking him for sinking, I think Jesus would have also rebuked the disciples who were still in the boat because they didn't have even faith enough to start. So I don't think he's rebuking Peter for sinking. I don't think he's rebuking the disciples. I think Jesus is rebuking his his disciple Peter because he is doubting Jesus as I am. I think he's scolding Peter because he questioned the identity of Jesus. How many times have you questioned the identity of Jesus? So Peter gets back in the boat, the storm stops, and the disciples say in verse 33, one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible, I believe they say this with awe and worship and reverence. I believe there's some holy fear in this moment. And they say this, truly, you are. Who is he? I am. And they say, truly, you are the son of God. I believe this is the moment that it all clicked for Peter. So when Jesus came to him and said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of God. Today, I don't know what you're walking through. On this Easter Sunday, I don't know what weight you carried in here. I don't know what sin you carried in this room. I don't know the distance between you and God. I don't know the pain in your life. I don't know the struggle. I don't know it. But I do know that I am is here. 
Who is this man? That was the opening question. He's a deliverer. Who is this man? He's the Prince of Peace. Who is this man? He's Elohim. Who is this man? He's the God of the miraculous. Who is this man? He's the Savior of the world. Who is this man? He's everywhere. Who is this man? He's everything. Who is this man? He's all you'll ever need. He is Jesus. And you see, you accept Jesus still to this day by faith. You see, Jesus scolded the disciples in Matthew 8 and in Matthew chapter 18 for their lack of faith. You see, what causes Jesus to scold us is when we don't have faith. Faith to believe that he can do the miraculous or faith to believe that he can save us. Today, many of you need Jesus as a savior, but many of you also need Jesus as a healer. And we're gonna pray with you and believe for that. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask just in these next couple of moments if you would be in this room, speak to every one of our hearts and every one of our lives. I know that you're doing something today that's beyond what any of us can see. So I just ask in these next few moments, you speak to our hearts and you change our lives. I want you to hear me just a second before I pray over you. I, I told you just a little bit today about who Jesus is. But you see, the ultimate question today is not who Jesus is. I know who he is. The ultimate question today is who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? And I would like to very directly ask everyone in the room and everyone watching online today, who do you say that he is? Who is Jesus to you? Is he a good man? Is he a good teacher? Is he a prophet? Is he one of many gods? Is he the fabrication of weak, Christian-minded people? Who is this man? Is he somebody that you call out to in case of emergency? Is he a fabrication? Is he a lie? Who is this man? Well, he is Jesus. But who do you say that he is? Today, I tell you, he's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's not one of many gods. He's the only. He's the only way to heaven. You see, there is no other way to heaven. You can't be a good man and get to heaven. You can't serve a false God who has similar teachings to Jesus and get to heaven. The only way to heaven is through faith in the Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us if we believe and if we confess with our mouth that he is Lord. You see, I think that's what Peter was doing. I think he was confessing in that moment. You are Lord. You are Messiah. That's the only way we can make it to heaven.